Welcome to JP Morgan TV. Uh, I'm Joe Lupton. Uh, Bruce is out this week and silly him left me the keys to the car. Uh, so I'm joined with my partner in crime, uh, Mike Hansen on the global team. Uh, the cadence of the monthly data flow uh, has certainly been quickening here. Uh, the framework to view a lot of this news, I think, is viewed through the lens of risk to the business cycle. So we've been kind of noting that resilient household demand supported by falling saving rates, resilient business hiring and investments supported by strong profits, support of governments, all of this reducing the risk that the global economy slides into a recession in the near term. But too much of a good thing is keeping the pressure on underlying inflation and, and potentially, or not potentially, certainly raises the risk that we have a central bank-induced recession as central banks are forced to kind of hike more aggressively uh, and that risks a recession moving uh, maybe into later next year. So that's the kind of shifts of the risks that we're seeing. I think, um, you know, we continue to get news on this front that's supporting that shift. Uh, Mike, let's, uh, you know, all eyes are on the U.S. The U.S. is kind of in the driver's seat here, particularly the Fed is in the driver's seat. Uh, but let's begin with the data side of things. It was um, I think while the data flow since maybe July has been improving, uh, the, this week's inflation news kind of was a reminder of that potentially too much of a good thing. So why don't you say a little bit about the inflation stuff? Yeah, I mean, we've been expecting headline inflation to come down basically because of energy prices, and we certainly are seeing signs of that. But core, in, particularly in the case of the U.S., although I would argue more broadly around the world, uh, is continued to be fairly robust and certainly running at levels that would keep central banks you know, foots on the brakes. Uh, and so in the U.S., we had a, a decent sized, uh, uh, I think it was a six tenths increase in core, if I remember correctly, uh, on the month. Uh, and so what was, I think, notable of that was while we anticipated that things like shelter were going to run strong, there were some components we thought might ease and they really didn't. So things like used car prices and some other things that were pandemic influenced, like lodging. Um, and so what it did it certainly scared the market into thinking that that would have to go even bigger. Uh, the market started to talk about the possibility of a full percentage point rate hike. We think that's unlikely. Yeah. And for what it's worth, we had our macro conference this week. A lot of clients that seem to be on the, the tip of their tongue of pointing to a hundred base points hike. But I seem, seems a little much to me. Yeah, I think that's fair, right? I think that given the other interesting news on the inflation front is that inflation expectations have continued to kind of drip lower. You know, the thing that really got the Fed more panicked in the summer and, and kind of shifted the, the discussion from 50 to 75 in the first place was the fact that the Fed was, was concerned and was maybe seeing some data at the time that inflation expectations were picking up. And now we're moving in the opposite direction on that front. Um, and I think you could point to things like, you know, PPI and import prices that look like they peaked. There's, you know, there's some signs that inflation is starting to, to come down, but it's coming down pretty darn gradually. Yeah, and I mean, so, I have to say that the, the core goods part of that inflation report was the thing that kind of surprised me. And it, it makes me wonder how much of that is just going to roll off with the next report, right? You do have import prices, you know, the strong dollar. All of this should be taking a lot of steam out of the core goods side of the picture. That's fair. Uh, of course, we still have uh, the fact that services is running pretty hot as well. And we've got strong labor markets and labor market data continues to be pretty robust. Claims continue to come in pretty remarkably uh, low. So the the general inflationary pressure story seems to not have moved, I think, enough to get the Fed to 
to think anything about a pivot at all. And so that's really what was motivating this debate. And what I think it's done, and you can see that in our change of our own forecast, is it's moved the, the focus from September to what happens the rest of the year. And the likelihood that the Fed's now going to have to hike additionally, uh, you know, hike more this year and additionally into early next year to get rates up to a level that make them more confident that they're going to be able to achieve uh, their inflation target over time. Yeah, and we did change our call, Mike. Why don't you say a little bit about that? Yeah, so we held with 75 for, for this uh, coming week, as we talked about. Uh, but we added another 25 basis points to the November early November rate hike. So that brings it to 50. Uh, and then we added uh, an additional 25, uh, kind of the off-ramp uh, in early next year in the February meeting. So all told, we took our terminal rate up to four and a quarter. Um, and I, you know, we've been talking about this for a while. The risk feels like it's, you know, still been skewed towards the Fed having to potentially do more. You just talked about that at the beginning uh, of the video here about those risks. Uh, and that seems to be true kind of around the world. We've got a ton of central banks next week, and a lot of them are moving in size, particularly in the DM space. Right. So let's just round off the Fed before turning to some of those others. Uh, you know, we do get uh, the uh, summary of economic projections next week. Should we be looking for anything there? Presumably the dots are going to shift up in a way that reflects some of this. Yeah, the dots, I think, are going to be the big focus, right? Because the market really wants to get its head around how high and for how long the Fed is going to keep rates elevated. Markets have repriced pretty substantially over the last few weeks, uh, are now in the vicinity of about 4.5% towards you know the latter part of Q2, and then have rates coming back down. Um, I would expect that, and uh, the house call is that we're going to see higher dots for both this year and, and next year. Uh, and then, of course, we also got our first look at the 2025 dots. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, look, there's bound to be pretty wide dispersion there as well. I can see some hawks expecting they have to keep rates high for quite a long time and some doves thinking that they'll have the opportunity to bring rates down well before 2025. My guess, and I know uh, Mike Froy wrote something similar, is that Powell is really going to downplay that discussion because it's just so far in the future. But the idea that rates are going to be higher uh, for longer, at least through 2023, I think is a message he's going to reiterate. Right. Yeah. I mean, in some sense, what you see in those extended dots could be thought of as an interpretation of how long they feel like they're going to need to stay high. So I'm sure the market will be <laughs> taking that message and turning up the microscope maybe far beyond the level that Powell would like to see them doing that. But nonetheless, they will. All right. So that's the Fed. Uh, as you've noted, inflation's kind of running above expectations. We had that surprise in Europe. I think core was a bit stronger in the UK. Um, Europe's interesting. That way, I'm curious about the read through that you're you're thinking there, in the sense that we still see that region falling into recession. Uh, maybe some of the risks of the you know tempering the degree of the downturn um, are you know with the policy supports that's helping. How, how does what's the read through to the central bank meetings that we've had? We already had 75 from ECB, but we have the BOE next week. We have Rick's Bank. We have Norges Bank. Right. Uh, yeah, I and mean, the Scandies are a little easier, and then we'll get the, the BOEs a little more involved. Uh, on the Scandi side, uh, you know, Norges Bank was an early mover, and so it has the luxury of going another 50 basis points next week. It's about 100 basis points ahead of the Ricks Bank. Uh, interestingly, there, there is also talk of a possible 100 basis point move in Sweden next week. We think it's going to be 75. Uh, but both those central banks are still in the process of, you know, 
right-sizing policy, normalizing in a way to get to restrictive stances given the inflationary pressures. The BOE faces the bigger challenge because the economy looks to have weakened appreciably in the current quarter, and we're now looking for basically a recession Q2 through Q4 of this year. Um, but it's against a backdrop where the labor market is still holding in there pretty darn strong, uh, and obviously inflation is quite elevated. We did cut our inflation forecast a bit given the fiscal supports that are coming to households, but you're still going to have double-digit headline inflation in the UK for much of this half of the year. Um, and so it puts the, the BOE in a bit of a quandary. And the way I've been explaining to folks is uh, we are thinking that they're not going to do 75 anymore for next week and do 50, but we haven't changed the terminal rate. We're still looking at them to get to 4% by early next year. There's still a lot of, of you know, action they need to take to make sure that they've kind of brought inflation down or brought inflation expectations down to a level that's consistent, even with the economy slowing, uh, to keep inflation you know, under control over the longer run. Yeah, and there's there's... A lot to learn both on kind of how this kind of supposed inflation or uh, recession unfolds, but also a lot to learn on the policy front and, um, you know, the, you know, concerns that the BOE might have in terms of, you know, the, these tax cuts and these kind of ever increasing fiscal packages and how the currency plays into that is also an added wrinkle for for uh, Bank of England. Um, let's shift gears uh, to Asia a second, because the other big data we got this week was China. Uh, it was the August activity data. We've been looking for a big bounce in the third quarter. Uh, you know, I've been kind of saying that should not be where our focus is. There's there's almost no doubt you're going to get a big bounce. The bigger concern is what's happening for the fourth quarter. Um, with that in mind, like how how do you interpret the the August news that we got? First of all, what did we get, and then how do you interpret that? Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, we you know we've been looking for a, a pretty sizable recovery given how f weak growth was in the second quarter, and and the data actually, if anything, surprised a bit to the upside uh, in the most recent reading. Uh, you know, we still had a very small contraction in uh, in retail sales, but it wasn't as weak as expected. We saw some solid uh, IP growth, um, and even the fixed asset investment was was fairly robust. But the details, I think, there are important because the real estate side was quite weak. Uh, and reflects the you know ongoing concerns about how that might be managed, resolved. Um, and if you kind of zoom out for a second, I think the interesting thing this week was this contrast between uh, near-term uh, data and longer-term outlooks, and both within China and within Europe. Right in Europe, the the, the data was not particularly good, but I, as you mentioned, we're feeling a little bit better about the idea that you know maybe the policy response will be more supportive. In China, I think the data was better, but we're actually not feeling a lot better about it. Given that the housing market is still this this lingering, you know, pretty large source of concern, and you've got additional zero COVID policy restrictions being put in place that are likely going to take some wind out of the sales going forward. Yeah, yeah, and in the, in the, I guess the way I would kind of summarize it is to say that the two areas of concern for for uh, for uh, China are the the COVID, the potential for renewed COVID lockdowns, and the real estate sector. The data that we got this week for August, while strong and even a little stronger than expected on IP and supporting that 3Q bounce, doesn't really tell us much about the potential impact of renewed lockdowns and whether COVID flare-ups are going to be. So it's not dealing with that problem. And the one area where the data did give us some insight is on the property sector 
and that was the weak part in the data flow. So if those are the two areas I'm worried about for China, this week's data didn't do much for me. So that's that's kind of how I'm walking away on uh, on this. Uh, to that front, stepping back to the big global picture, Mike, um, you know, we do get the flash PMIs next week. Uh, we have a bit of a sectoral kind of split. We're actually quite worried about the goods producing manufacturing sector services, I think, um, maybe mixed, but probably improving still. Uh, are we going to get any news on that, you think, in next week's Flash PMIs? Yeah, well, we don't get uh, Japan until the following week. But in terms of the U.S. and Europe, you know, we are, as you mentioned, we, we're looking for uh, a decent rebound in, in services in the U.S., but in both the euro area and the UK, we're expecting some pretty sizable further weakness there. I think that, again, is reflecting the idea that the, the drag on consumers from these really high energy prices is just beginning. Uh, and that will show up both in manufacturing and in services. But as you pointed out on the manufacturing side, we've been talking about the idea that, that we're going to be this rotation away from goods and goods is probably going to underperform a bit. Um, we're expecting something consistent with that, I would argue, in the way in which we're, we're seeing the PMI, flash uh, PMIs for next week. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, it does seem like you'll probably in aggregate see the a bit of a improvement in services, bit more weakness in manufacturing. But to your point, the the concentrated weakness will be in, in Europe, which is consistent with our call for a region that we think is slowly falling into at least a mild recession. Um, okay. Well, that about wraps it up. Um, I should say, in addition to the Fed and the Bank of England, we do have the BOJ meeting next week, um, where other, other than some hand wringing, I guess, over the yen, we don't really expect them to, to be right. doing much. Uh, I think in total, we have, what is it, 12 central bank meetings next week? It's a lot. Yes. Yeah. Some, something like 12 meetings. So with all that uh, on deck, there'll certainly be a lot to talk about um, here next week on JP Morgan TV.